Scott Jackson Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. My pleasure right now to hit the Ballyhoo's guest line and bring in Patrick Stevens from the Washington Post, college basketball writer, as we get into some bracketology and who needs work uh, to get done, who's firmly in there right now, uh, especially here in the Commonwealth. How's it going, Patrick? How are you? Very good. Well, let's start with with UVA. They seem to be the one sure thing, although maybe not as high up as they'd want to be right now. But but am I safe in saying that the the Cavaliers uh, have a have a strong enough resume right now that they should feel pretty good on Selection Sunday? Yeah, I, I think that they've done enough at this point to the to be able to say that it would it would take a, a lot of work on their end to play their way out and. You know, the win at Clemson earlier this month helped a lot. The, the victory over Florida early in the season has turned out to be pretty valuable. Um, you look at what they haven't done. You know, may, maybe you wish that they didn't have that loss at Notre Dame back at the end of December. Uh, but beyond that, like, they've just got a good, solid profile. I mean, I think right now, if the tournament started today, they'd be in that 8-9 range in all likelihood, which, again, is probably not where you want to be because you're staring down a one seed in all likelihood if you, if you make it out of the first round. Uh, but for the moment, it feels like Virginia is solidly in the field and, and simply has to take care of business the rest of the way to have a stress-free selection Sunday. All right, right now I know you do not have the Hokies in there, but how much work do they need to do, and is there enough left on the schedule for them to be able to be resume builders. Yeah, there's still a fair bit of work there. I mean, the good thing for them, that you know, that Iowa State win and that Boise State win down in Orlando, I mean, they did their best work over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and they also have a home victory over Clemson to this point. Uh, they also have a, a loss at Notre Dame over the weekend. Uh, but there's just not a whole, as much heft at the top of the profile. A lot of losses that have just kind of stacked up. Uh, and they are a team that right now has only three quad one wins, only a combined four between quad one and quad two, which you know are, are is kind of the way the NCAA sorts out all of these games and all of these teams. The one and six road record also stands out as an issue. It would really, really help the Hokies out if they were able uh, to go out and do something outside of Blacksburg here over the next few weeks. Uh, obviously, going down to Chapel Hill is probably a big ask. Uh, but those two games coming up next, starting next weekend, they go to Pitt and then Syracuse. Those are two games they could really, really use, along with the remaining home games. You know, Virginia and Wake Forest are both opportunities as well. Now, looking at your uh, bracketology right now, you have four ACC teams in. Uh, among your first four out, Wake Forest not quite in at this point. So obviously, there's still a chance you could have five ACC teams in. Yeah, and I, th- I think the issue for Wake Forest is really simple. Like you look at them and. Everything about them is is solid. That you know, that you probably wish they'd won a couple more road games along the way. But they beat Florida, they beat Virginia. Um, but the problem they have is that they don't they don't have a quad one win at all. Uh, and you know, when you start talking about well, you know, they they only got Efton Reed back and how they played since then. That Florida win, which is their best win, happened before they got the center uh, Efton Reed eligible before Demari Monsanto. Uh, got healthy. So if you're Wake Forest, you are really in a spot where you need to go win something of high value. And for them, there's really two huge opportunities left, maybe three before the end of the regular season. They go to Virginia this weekend, major opportunity for the Demon Deacons. They beat Virginia the first time around in Winston-Salem. You know They have Duke at home next weekend. Uh, they just lost by eight to them the other day. 
and they close out the regular season at home against Clemson, a team that, that might give them a quad one victory, uh, might not, uh, might present that opportunity. And, of course, there's the ACC tournament. But right now, like the thing that's glaring about Wake is there just isn't that high-end signature victory, especially away from home, for them to be able to tout uh, you know, compared to other teams at the edge of the field, like a Seton Hall or or a, a Utah, which they lost to, or or even a Gonzaga, which just won at Kentucky. And we're talking to Patrick Stevens, Washington Post, a college basketball writer with us here via the Valley Who's guest line here, Scott Jackson, Joe Prairie Auto Sports Radio. 94.1, we are brought to you by Larry King Law. All right, looking at the A-10, clearly, you know, Dayton's in a really good spot. You know, 20 and 4, I think they're, what, they're 18 or 19 in the, in the net right now. But after that, it gets interesting, especially if you uh, move your attention over to uh, Richmond uh, in the Richmond area with VCU and Richmond, both in the 70s. I think VCU's at 72 at last check, Richmond 78 in the net. Uh, how do you how do you see the A ten right now? Is it a one bid league? Is there a chance for them to get two? Uh, how do you kind of sort that out at this moment? Yeah, I, I think at this point the best bet for the for the A ten uh, is for somebody to knock off Dayton in the in the conference tournament, and that's ultimately the pathway uh, for getting a second team in there. I will say this for VCU, uh, you know, they do have a little bit of an injury excuse, um, you know, from from earlier in the season. Uh, with Barstow having missed as much time as he did. You know, they're playing well at this point. And they do still have an at Dayton, and they have an at UMass, which actually might help out a little bit. And they have an at Richmond. So there is an opportunity there if, if VCU really is, you know, kind of catching fire here. And they've won eight of their, out of their last nine, so, so they're certainly playing better than they did in the first half of the season. There is an opportunity for them to stack some wins and maybe improve their situation. But they also have two quad four losses to George Washington and to Norfolk State, and those two aren't helping them any at all. And so uh, you also you, me- you mentioned Richmond. Uh, they have the home victory over Dayton. There's, there's not much else at the top of that profile that helps them out. Uh, and, and so I think they as well you know, probably uh, either need to catch fire or win the conference tournament. You know, they have VCU at home, which doesn't help as much uh, as maybe you know, the opportunity to go to uh, the Siegel Center. Uh, they don't have quite the, the same number of opportunities. They go to at George Washington, at Rhode Island, at St. Louis. There's certainly wins to be had there if you're Richmond, uh, but in all likelihood that they're going to be in a spot where they're probably going to have to, if not make, if not win the A10 tournament outright, then certainly make it all the way to Sunday. We're here with Patrick Stevens, Washington Post, talking college basketball bubble action here with us. Scott Jackson, Joe Party Auto Sports Radio, 94.1. He joins us via the Valley Who's guest line. James Madison's been a really interesting case study this year. They were in the top 25 for, for a few weeks. Uh, have a, a strong net right now at, at 52, but unfortunately for them, not a lot of opportunities ahead to help their resume on the schedule. And the two App State losses obviously don't help, uh, you know, which keeps them behind even in their own conference. Uh, but yet at 52, could they lose potentially in a conference championship and, and still get an at-large, or is there really no shot unless they win the conference championship? See, I, I'm sitting here kind of imagining how the committee would be looking at a a James Madison team that gets into the barn at, at what thirty and four perhaps is what it would be if they if they made a conference title game and lost. Um, you know that would be a really tempting team uh, to look at because they did win at Michigan State and, and since basically since the first day of the season it's been the better Michigan State does the better it is for James Madison uh, and, and so there's that you know the, the losses to App State aren't super damaging the loss at Southern Miss 
uh, is one that, that certainly, you know, raises some eyebrows. Uh, but overall, you know, I think the other thing that works against Madison is that non-conference strength of schedule of 327. There's a lot of bad teams that they went out and played in non-conference play. That said, you know, I, I don't think there's been a 30-win team that the NCAA has, has left out. I think the record's 27 or 28. There's a Coastal Carolina team a few years back that got to 27 or 28 and got left out. So if you offer me a, a 30 and four James Madison team that has a victory at Michigan State and made the Sun Belt final, and at that point, if they did make the Sun Belt final, you'd be talking about a team that would have ripped off what? Um, 12 in a row going into that conference final. I think they could be, you know, sort of a, a team that the committee offers clemency to. And while, while I'm also not, you know, super suspicious, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You look back at that history in Dayton, those, those you know those first four games since that that thing got underway in 2011, and aside from one or two seasons, there's been somebody you know from a mid-major league that's gotten in there: Belmont in 2019, Drake in 2021, Wyoming in 22, Nevada last year, uh, and so I don't want to say that there is like a specified mid-major spot because I don't believe that, but it certainly. You know, it gets your antenna up a little yeah. bit, and you know maybe that would be a spot for uh, for James Madison to land if it, you know, like I said, if it if it catches fire or stays on fire, I should say, wins out until the end of the you know the the last day of the Sun Belt tournament, and then loses maybe to App State again, which is you know the the best team outside of James Madison when it comes to the metrics anyway in that conference this year. Uh, Patrick Stevens with us uh, from the Washington Post talking about the bubble watch right now. Uh, right now, on your in your last update, you had Big 12 with 10 teams. They've obviously had a great season. SEC with nine, Big 10, six. Mountain West with six. Um, you know, a lot of these mid-major schools, in particular James Madison, VCU, Richmond, and the state alone have been really trying to crack the code on what it's going to take to help their conferences and to get this get in the at-large conversation. What What is the Mountain West doing, at, you know, as a mid-major that the others are not to, to have such strong numbers? Well, some of it is just simply being good in non-conference play. Like, Utah State was 12-1 and in non-conference play. New Mexico was 12 and 1 in non-conference play. San Diego State was 11 and 2 in non-conference play. Nevada uh, went out and was 13 and 1 in non-conference play. Colorado State went out and went 12 and 1 in non-conference play. And a lot of those teams wound up winning some pretty good games like remember Colorado State beat Creighton back on Thanksgiving is maybe the great example there. Uh, and so you have in that league uh, four or five Really, really good team. Six, really. We didn't mention Boise State in there either. The other thing that the Mountain West has going for it is that it's still small enough that you can kind of rig the schedule a little bit in conference to make sure all the teams that you think are going to be good are going to play each other twice, and maybe they won't see those teams at the bottom of the league but one time during the regular season instead of two. And when you get yourself into a scenario where you've got 14 teams in a league and you have – an 18-game league schedule, that only gives you so many opportunities uh, to double things up. So the Mountain West had a bunch of teams go out and play great in non-conference play, and the schedule has essentially been set so that for the most part, the only one of those teams that was a surprise, I think, to be in the top half of the league was Utah State, and that was a tournament team last year. They just 
you know, lost their coach and, and pretty much all of their roster. Uh, but they brought in a new coach who had been to the tournament the last couple of years at Montana State. He brought a couple guys with him. He poached a bunch of uh, guys from, you know, throughout like the Big South and the Big Sky, uh, maybe a Mountain West guy in there or two. Sprinkled those guys, and no pun intended, his name's Danny Sprinkle. And then basically, you know, was able to, you know, get things going very quickly. So you get a little bit of that going, too, where you have a new coach comes in and everything goes right. But there's a lot of variables in play there, and basically the Mountain West has done a great job of maximizing pretty much all of them this season. That doesn't mean that, you know, like some people might argue, that from top to bottom it's as good a league as, as maybe a power conference because the bottom four teams in that league, the bottom three in particular, really, really struggled for a variety of reasons. But, you know, those top five or six teams are really, really good. And don't forget about UNLV, which isn't going to be a, an at-large candidate. Uh, but they have certainly proven themselves to be a serious pest as well. Awesome. Uh, great information as always. Patrick Stevens at um, on the X at D1S Course. Uh, you can follow him there. Washington Post, read him there. Uh, great stuff as always. Patrick, thanks for your insights. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Scott Jackson, Joe here, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Although I've been thinking of this hologram idea or AI thing, if we could do it right, like could it stretch out like vacation days for me over this year? I mean, what, <laughs> what's if I agreed to it? I don't know. That is uh, forward thinking on your yeah, part. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. You know, I'm just saying. All right. Um, thanks to Patrick Stevens. Man, that guy, dude's a wealth of information. All that crap is off the top of his head. I mean, I, I need notes. I need to, to, to Google myself into some things to remember uh, at times. But, man, he is just boom, 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 boom. It's amazing uh, what he does, but always uh, like talking to him this time of year. <clears throat> Bracketology. It's interesting, and I do feel like there is some uh, manipulation of the system uh, going on, but good for them in the Mountain West. You know, they figured out the formula, and having a smaller conference helps. You know, James Madison is an interesting case study because, as Patrick just said, I mean, they could be at 30 wins. And not make it. That would be wild. That would be crazy. Um, they here's what Madison's done really well. Obviously, they had the big early wins of the season, uh, one of which was over Michigan State on the road. The, one thing they haven't done well was obviously play App State. They haven't been able to beat them yet on uh, the first two tries. That hopefully uh, for them they'll get a third shot at them in the tournament. But they have feasted on the quad fours. They have not lost a quad four game at all. They're unbeaten against the quad fours. And that's important. I mean, you talk about the quality wins are important, but the, the bad losses will drag your rear end down too. Uh, and the thing that really jumps out about this Mountain West um, thing versus, say, the Sun Belt as another example, or even the CAA, I mean, you know, I don't know, just go through the mid-major conferences however you want, is the amount of quad one games they get, right? And a lot of it is against each other, but that adds up. Um, the hope for Madison... And, well, really, the, the entire Sunbelt and the MAC, the Sunbelt MAC challenge was that, you know, playing like Akron would help Madison out. And it really didn't because they had a lower net rating. It didn't hurt them that much, but it, but it didn't help them to the degree they help, that hoped to. I mean, it was a nice idea, but, you know, Akron's like 92. I mean, that's, that's not going to help you if you're Madison, you know, in the 70s as they are. That wasn't going to boost your, uh, you know, boost your numbers up, you know. It's 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 just a it's a weird situation and, and the problem is the deeper you get, or excuse me in the fifties Madison's in the fifties apps in the seventies uh, and the further you get up in this in the conference the further you go down the conference I mean there's some teams in the two hundreds I mean that you know there's teams in the three hundreds in this conference in Coastal and Georgia Southern and, and ULM 
I mean, ODU's not there yet, luckily, but, you know, they're not that far from it either, 281. Um, you know, South Owls at 250. You know, Texas State's at 246. Southern Miss is at 220. Marshall, 215. Um, Georgia State, 211. You know, those are all, you know, 200 and above teams. You know, Arkansas State's at 158, and they, they're 12 and 14. Um, Troy's at 144. Louisiana was just here last night, so a 112, and again, App 79 and, and James Madison 52. But Madison's 16 and 0 against quad fours. Um, 12 and 1 at home's big. The one quad one game they won. They won in one of the quad twos and four and two quad threes. But again, the majority of their games are against quad fours. Um, that, that's obviously not helping them. I mean, ODU has had two quad one games. They lost both of them. They've had five quad two games, lost all those as well. Uh, just as an example, you know, the difference. They've had 10 quad four games. Again, Madison's had 16. Oof, that's, yeah. that's too many. It's a big jump, yeah. Apps had 13 of them. I mean, and again, you go to this Mountain West situation where these Mountain West teams are, and, you know, when you look at the top five, well, they're talking about six teams, right, for the Mountain West going right now. That's what everybody has figured out. With San Diego State, New Mexico, Utah State, Colorado State, Boise State, and Nevada – UNLV just in the outside looking in. So those teams, um, Nevada said eight quad ones. Boise State's had 11. Uh, Colorado State's had eight. Utah State's had five. Uh, New Mexico's had five. San Diego State's had 10 of them. And that's a big difference. And, th- and they're, none of them, New Mexico's had nine quad four games. That's the most out of all those teams that I just mentioned. You know, Boise's only played four of them. I mean, Boise's had these 11 quad one games, and they're five and six in them. And they're at 14 and eight, but they're, again, their computer numbers are great. They're at 45 right now in the net. Despite, you know, being 14 and, you know, it's with 14 wins right now. And they've obviously got more games to go, but it just, they just drag you down. And again, this, this system, it's tough because a lot of these teams, nobody's going to want to play, right? Like, it's, you're just, you're not going to get to play them, and you're going to have to travel there. They're not going to come to your gymnasium. I mean, you got to go through all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the Big Ten this year is interesting um, because there is a you know bit of a drop uh, there as well. If you get past Purdue, you know, Illinois' top 15, they're kind of hugging that. And then and Wisconsin and Michigan are like on the outside of the top 20 in terms of this uh, net rating right now. Mich- or excuse me, Wisconsin is just hanging in at 20, and uh, Wisconsin – I mean, Wisconsin's at twenty, Michigan State's at twenty-one uh, in the in the in the uh, net rating right now, and then it drops all the way to Nebraska. I mean, they're like in the fifties, so that's why there's maybe just four that makes it for the Big Ten. You know, unless somebody makes a run in the tournament, you know, Northwestern, Nebraska still have a shot, but they've got to really do some work. Even though their overall record is going to look pretty good, uh, but they just haven't, you know, made enough hay and their big moment opportunities uh, to pull up that net. So it is going to be uh, a fascinating case today. I'm sure they will probably come back and change the entire system. <laughs> I mean, at this point, although it's been a rough year for the Big Ten, especially when some of your big boys are awful this yeah, year. They'll come back and change it all. The Big 12, on the other hand, is having an excellent year, and they'd love to tell you about it um, You know, with, with the season they're having. And, and what's funny about the Big 12 is it's not really the traditional Big 12 teams. Obviously, it's... You know, uh, BYU and Houston having a great year. Iowa State's having a great year. Uh, but, you know, Baylor and Kansas, it's not like it's a Baylor and Kansas show in Texas Tech. I mean, 
It's Houston, Iowa State, and BYU are in the top 10 right now in terms of net. And, you know, down then you go to Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech. You know, they're all top 25 range. Then after that, you got Texas, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, TCU around in the top 40. So, I mean, that's where kind of how it breaks down for them. And they, they also all benefit from playing one another. And again, they're just quad one matchups versus quad one matchups over and over again. And that's kind of like how the Mountain West is kind of, you know, feeding off one another. And as we mentioned with the ACC before, right now, really just four teams you can feel real good about. And Carolina's had some really weird head-scratching losses to go along with some big wins. Um, you know, Duke Carolina, you know, they're not, for once, aren't in the top 10 in this thing. You know, Clemson's in the you know 25 net. You got Wake at 36. Um, and then UVA's at 41 right now. So those are the five teams. Now, Pittsburgh, with that win over UVA, moved, you know, they didn't move much, which was surprising. They actually went backwards, which was weird. They're 54 now in the net. And we were mentioning Virginia Tech earlier, they're 61, so they've got a ton of work to do uh, the rest of the way in, in, to uh, get into that spot. But it's weird to see Miami. They're not they're not in it right now. You know, NC State, Syracuse, you know, these kind of teams that are out of it. I mean, Syracuse usually finds a way to get in it <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah, I don't know if that's happening this but year. I don't know about this year. Yeah, uh, I don't think so this year. So it'll be an interesting few weeks. Uh, I had a good text here about uh, college basketball on the men's side from Jordan and Virginia Beach. says, man – the problem is that there is too much parity in men's college basketball. And since the biggest star is Caitlin Clark, there's no clear-cut male college star. No. says no disrespect to women's college basketball. And that's not. It's just the truth. Like, there's the yeah. biggest stars in women's college basketball by far. And, you know, Baycott has been on the stage for a while. You know, Dickinson's been on the stage for a while. But, yeah, they're not really, you know – having these blowout seasons where, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I got to watch Kansas. I mean, Kansas got killed. I mean, it was a Texas Tech just murdered them the yeah. other night uh, on the road. So that was was not exciting. Um, and you're right. The head-scratching losses for Carolina also hurts Baycott's stock, too, yeah. even if he's playing well in these games. And if there, trust me, if there was a clear-cut clear star in men's college basketball, you'd be hearing about it. And, and often, it's just nothing to the level of, of Caitlin Clark. No, no. And and again, I think the parity can be fine. It can be fun for the NCAA tournament. But yes, I mean, this type of year when there's so much going on, and, and now it's going to drop off, obviously, with uh, football gone, you ju- you will have um, you know moments for more of a, of a stage, if you will, for college basketball. But it hurts you to get attention, right? When you're not having, you're not having those big game moments and, you know, like you said, big star uh, names and like this is just kind of like where we've been with with college basketball on the men's side for a long time now with with just you know it's one and done you know and if it's it's a it's a knock on your resume if you stick it out more than a year right like there's something wrong with your game if you're sticking around for an extra year of college basketball oh yeah you know that's, like, a, that's huge the red NBA flag. Is like yeah. a red flag like what's your problem you're just not that good I mean that's that's really the way it, it is and the way it boils down so there's no doubt that that has um you know the one and done environment. Um, I would let I if it was up to me and I, I ran it, I would allow players to go right from high school. I don't think it matters. I think it's overrated. There's only about a handful that can do it every year anyway. That are any they're any good. They're good enough for it. And let, let the guys other guys go to college and like let's see them perhaps grow in college. That's a crazy idea. And actually get a chance to play for a while. But I would I would just say now if you if you're thinking about going pro, if you think you can, go for it um, and just go back to that system. I, I don't 
I think the one and done has really been a disaster. I don't think it's it's helped as much as everybody thought it would. It is a disaster, but at the same time, if you if you go back to letting kids come right out from high school, everybody and their brother is going to try and do it, and some of those kids will not be ready, and they'll flame out. So well, I think that kind of almost forcing them to have forcing yeah. them to have at least one year. I'm not saying they they, they wouldn't flame out anyway, but. I mean, going right from high school to the NBA, there is a very, very short list of well, those who did it very is, though, successfully. Again, there's only so many that get drafted. So if you don't get drafted, you can either do one or two things. You can go to the G League and go overseas, or you or you can go back to college if you don't have an agent, right? Now it doesn't even matter. I mean, let's be honest. If you have an agent, yeah. I mean, yeah, you now, don't think these kids are, yeah, have agents exactly. now, by the way? I right, mean, <laughs> right. Like their AAU coach uh-huh. or their high school coach or whoever. Uh, you know, and a relative is their agent. I mean, they have agents. I mean, these guys in the NIL world are now asking for handouts that are that are mm-hmm. filtering players' places. It's a different world now, man. Yeah. So, but I think what, what you have, if the, the smart kids and the kids that get the right direction, found out and before even was okay. You're draftable in the NBA because the NBA has this board they put together and they tell these kids a realistic look at where they're going to be, and you get the information, you go to the camps. Go to, you know, go to all the camps, and then you can go back into the draft or go, go back into college right at that point. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's the one and done. If you ask the coaches, I think they'd be they'd be fine with getting rid of it too. And it's a big farce anyway. I mean, this has been going on for since forever. I mean, anybody who knows pays attention to this stuff. These kids will come in for a year. They go to class for a semester. And then after that, they don't have to go to class because they've already made eligible for spring right, semester. Right. And, you know. They're not. They don't have any, any, any reason to bother. I mean, because they know they're leaving at the end of the year. So it's a huge farce. I mean, it's there's no reason to make them no, I get continue it. to I do get it. it. I would just punt on that idea. And again, you have the G League now too. I mean, the G League actually brings in players now. They actually help get players to the NBA, which wasn't always the case in the beginning when it was the D League. Uh, but now it's become the G League. They've become a little bit smarter with development in terms of that kind of stuff. Uh, with guys who maybe aren't ready immediately but can get themselves better. All right, I want to talk about dunkers coming up. We'll do that. Dunk competition this weekend. Mac McClung, who's not really in the NBA, <laughs> is the defending champion. But there have been some all-time great dunkers. We'll get to some of that memory lane stuff coming up on the other side here. Scott Jackson Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio. 94.1, we are brought to you by Larry King Law. Injured in an accident, call 757-INJURED, 757-INJURED. All right, uh, this weekend, uh, the All-Star Festivities NBA, it is in uh, Indianapolis with the uh, dunk competition, three-point competition game itself, uh, which usually stinks on Sunday. Tonight, the uh, first-year players against the second-year What do they call that? The, the Rising Stars game. Yeah, Rising Stars game. Uh, tonight, and um, got me to think about great dunkers, all-time dunkers. Unfortunately, uh, not everybody that's great at this does it. And we've gotten to the point now where guys like egos get in the way. Like LeBron James is going to leave the NBA unless something drastic happens next season. Is never going to dunk a dunk competition. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, Kobe Bryant did it. Michael Jordan did it. I mean, everybody that was everybody did it except for LeBron, which is weird because he's a really good dunker, um, in-game dunker, as we've seen over the years. T- this year's... I mean, Jalen Brown is a superstar, so it's pretty cool that he's doing it because, again, that yes. goes against the mold, right? So uh, props to him no matter what happens. He can fall flat on his face. I got a lot of respect for him. Mac, Mac McClung is a G League player who's the defending champion. Uh, Jacob Toppin is a two-way player with the Knicks and, of course, is Obi's brother. But 
he I wouldn't consider him a real NBA player, no. right? Like no, no. he's not like a full time. No. And uh, Jaime uh, Jacquez Jr. of the Heat. I mean, and again, you you don't have to be a star player to be a great dunker. I think we've seen that. I'm not I'm not saying you do, but I think it adds to the competition when the best of the best put the ego aside and are willing to go ahead and do it. Right, go ahead and play and, yep. and give it a shot. Um, so we don't get that anymore, unfortunately. No, but there was a time we did. I mean, that's why for me, like, yes, Michael Jordan, Dr. J. Uh, Dominique Wilkins, Vince Carter was a sick dunker. I mean, if you're really oh, rating yeah. dunkers, oh, Vince yeah. Carter might be number one on most people's list. I mean, he had some of the greatest dunk competitions. Somebody just mentioned, if you want to go back in time a little bit more, uh, this guy, uh, this is in the 757, I'm not sure who this is, says great dunker with considered dangerous dunk is David Thompson, who would cradle the ball in one arm and jump high enough over the rim and punch it through the hoop with his other hand. His hang time, he never performed it much due to the risk. Have a great weekend. No, that's, I mean, David Thompson was a stud. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, David Thompson was a high flyer, NC State, of course, star, was an ACC star, Denver Nuggets, um, a tremendous, tremendous dunker. That's a great one. Hey, Chocolate Thunder, Daryl Dawkins, you know, but he's a center, right? But he was, I mean, he literally broke backboards, Hat was a ferocious dunker. Uh, in his day, there's no doubt. That's that's another good one. Uh, Greg and Gloucester says, "What about Spud Webb? Yeah, Spud Webb. He was for fun. Little, yeah, for a little guy. Um, he didn't. No, I'm thinking of D Brown had the one where he pumped the shoes up, right? The Reebok deal. I think that was, that was yeah, D that was D Brown. Brown. Webb, Don't yeah. forget D Brown also did the cover your eyes thing, yes, the, the blind, the first blindfold type dunk. That's true. Look, and I, and I think like these guys like Zach Levine and uh, Gordon Hayward have been amazing dunkers too mm-hmm. in their own time doing some things. Sean Kemp was really good before Sean Kemp became Fat Sean Kemp. Yeah, when, when Sean Kemp could actually still get off the ground. Yeah, when yeah. he was Sonic Sean Kemp. No, man, Sean Kemp was uh, no, that was a good one. And now, granted, they should have won the NBA title, but they didn't, didn't let Gary Payton cover Michael Jordan until he decided. Yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> greatest part of Last Dance, the greatest Michael Jordan meme there is, by the way. Even better than the crying Jordan meme uh, is the one where his face is like looking at that iPad like, what? (laughs) Laughing at Gary Payton. But anyway, yeah, I I think those guys, you know, that you hit there, all very good dunkers. Um, And, you know, again, not afraid to be in the competition, which I, you know, respect a lot about it, too. There's another one that I had on my list. You mentioned pretty much all the ones I have, but I also had Larry Nance on the list. Larry Nance is very good. He was nasty in the day. Yeah, he was. yeah, but Jam and Dance was a very good one. And look, there, some guys can't do it like they can in the, you know, unless it's a breakaway dunk or whatever. But you think about like Dr. J, like Jordan and, and Dominique and, and obviously Vince Carter, who literally put <laughs> his manhood on the French center, Frederick Weiss, uh, in the <laughs> international uh, game. Yeah, that uh, is it. You know, I mean, there, there's some guys that aren't like, you know, that have won this contest. You're like, yeah, but did they ever do that in a game? Not really. I mean, the worst dunk competition was the one that Dwight Howard won because he didn't actually dunk the ball with the Superman cape. He like he didn't actually put his hand on the rim. He no. like threw it in. No, it wasn't a dunk. No, it wasn't. That was crap. But anyway, I, I don't. I think that um, it's it is frustrating to me that um, LeBron hasn't done it. And I, you know, I just think it's silly. That well, he, and now he can't. There's no, there's no yeah. way he will now. No, no chance. Uh, Jason Richardson was a very good dunker. In his day, Kobe could, Kobe was a very good dunker too. Uh, Blake Griffin uh, is another one, you know, that's it was really good. But yeah, Nance, 
Nance probably underrated. He didn't get a lot of attention. Um, the year Desmond Mason won the slam dunk competition, I was at that. That was the one at, uh, well, now it's Capital One, but it was MCI Center at that. It was kind of a blah dunk competition, but he was good. I mean, it wasn't his fault that the field sucked, but um, that was kind of blah. But, yeah, I mean, Car- Vince Carter, though, always is like the f- – he had in games. He's in, top in, tier, yeah. And his competition the year was it out in Golden State that year was in, was phenomenal when he won it. He had, he made some ridiculous dunks in that competition, and, I, and they'll show a million of them, you know, this weekend when they go when they do the thing. And, and you know, again, Blake Griffin, you know, prior to um, you know, kind of falling off the face of the earth um, in terms of his athleticism, was a silly dunker, absolute silly dunker. Mm-hmm. And of course, Dominique is you know. The whole Jordan thing is always going to be, you know, debated as whether or not they totally hosed MJ just to get Dominique, you know, the dunk competition or not. But it was still a great competition. Well, to me, it, it's Jordan, Dominique, and everybody else. Yeah. And and the, your list starts there, and then whatever you do after that, we can talk about. But it, it, it starts with Jordan and Dominique for me. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. And I mean, Vince Carter would probably be an easy number three, but and, and, and that's that's probably not too much debate. But it, it's Jordan and Dominique at the top. Well, Do- and Vince Carter, the hops are ridiculous, and then you know he obviously threw it the violence in which he threw it down, right? Uh, you know, whereas like Dr. J was more of a glider. It was like it was like at that time too. It was probably just felt weird to see somebody doing that because it wasn't that wasn't he brought the finesse to the dunk yeah. competition. Yeah, I mean, he was amazing. And it's cool that he comes back and does the. Things. Clyde Drexler was was a good dunker for his time, but a problem is, of course, for Clyde is it was everything. Jordan was <laughs> right. Jer- Jerome Kersey ran into the same problem yeah, too. Exactly, uh, exactly. But you know, th- those are the guys. Like, like for like smaller guards, it's tougher because you don't. You know, it, it's so much effort to get up there, and, it, and it's cool when they really can can really bring some some uh, power to it. But it, it doesn't have the same impact. Watching Spud Webb versus like Vince Carter, or I know. you know yeah. what I mean. And yeah. it's not anything against them; they're doing the best they can. But it's just not the same thing. And even like Max McClung, it's like crazy his hops and everything. And like he's very creative. And I knew that when he was at Georgetown, everybody's like, "Dude, this guy's gonna win a dunk competition someday." And I was like, "Don't you have to be in the league for that?" But then they changed the rules. So now, <laughs> now you don't have to be in the league for that. No, actually, here's the good news: you don't have to be in the league for that. What about Baby Jordan, Harold Miner? Was he? He was a pretty good dunker. He, I him. think he won one. Did he not? <laughs> yeah, a oh, poor kid, Baby Jordan. Why would they yeah, do that? That, to that was poor terrible. Guy? That poor guy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think Stackhouse was a pretty good dunker for a while too, but not. But problem is again, Vince Carter, Michael Jordan. That was well. That was Jerry Stackhouse's problem was that yeah, you, still you could, is. You could make that comparison between yeah. Stackhouse and Vince Carter as far as dunks, but Vince Carter was just that much better. Yeah, Greg and Gloss says, do not forget Dominique. No, we have not. No, absolutely John, not. John Morant needs to get in. Yeah, yeah, he needs to. Uh, well, Justin, you know. Yeah, he needs to stay in. Yeah, he needs. To, well, he's hurt now, <laughs> but um, Larry Nance was silly, incredible. Uh, beat out Dr. J one year. Yeah. Yeah. And Im- imagine that if Dr. J would have just stopped dunking after that. <laughs> uh-huh. Greg and Gloucester likes Tracy McGrady. Yeah. I don't know. He's all right. I don't know. I- I'm not, I don't know if you can't catch this, but I used to be a big Tracy McGrady fan. And then I don't know. I don't know where it turned for me, but it's just, I, I don't know. I just lost. Was it Rockets McGrady? Is that where you, where you lost? Yeah. Him? And in the end of the magic thing, he, he did some stuff that I didn't like. I used to like watching him play in per- He was a, I saw him score fifty um, at least once. Oh, super on the talented! Wizards. There's yeah, no debate about no debate about that. But yeah, I don't know. He said something stupid one time, and I was just like, I, I don't know. He, he just kind of 
Yeah, at the end of his magic run, he just kind of drove me crazy. And then he was kind of hopping from team to team. And I also feel like they fast-tracked him to the Hall of Fame, which bothers me. They did. They, that, that was silly. Was There's no hurry quick. for Tracy McGrady. No. Nobody was begging for Tracy McGrady to get in the freaking Hall of Fame. That was stupid. But he got rushed in, and then you got like some all-time guys that were all-time teams and all-time players that are still like not scratching the surface. This is annoying to me. All right, we're going to get to the Daytona 500 uh, coming up at 6. Uh Davey Siegel is going to join us from NASCAR Radio and Sirius XM and get his thoughts on where things stand going into the weekend. Uh, coming up, a, <laughs> I mean, if you think things have gone crazy in college football with coaches leaving, wait till you hear this story out of the Sun Belt. We'll get to that coming up. Get to more of your all-time dunkers on the text line, 757-687-9494, 757-687-9494. Scott Jackson, Show Priority Auto Sports Radio, 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry Kinglaw. We're brought to you by uh, Larry King Law. I got some good dunkers here on the text line at 757-687-9494. How about Richard Ross from Old Dominion? There's a good one uh, from the way back. Not that way way back, like 10 years ago. All right, I'll take that. Uh, Isn't he playing overseas somewhere right now? I think he is. I want to say he's still playing overseas right now. Um, Yes, he is. I believe that's true. If not, it was last year. Uh, the other one, uh, Dr. Duncanstein, Darnell Hillman. Wow. Doc- I remember the Dr. Duncanstein nickname, but I couldn't have told you that it was his nickname. <laughs> I thought Adrian Griffin was Dr. Duncanstein. We- Uh-oh. I thought Adrian Griffin was. Am I wrong? Controversy. Adrian Griffin nickname. we got to find that. I thought Adrian Griffin was Dr. Duncanstein. I don't know. We're going to have to fact check that one. Uh, nickname. Adrian Griffin uh, nickname. Uh, his nickname, no, maybe not. Where did it, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Was it Adrian Griffin? Maybe you're just an Adrian Griffin guy. Yeah, I thought Adrian Griffin was, uh, but okay. All right. There you go. He's saying Dr. Duncanstein was this other guy. And I believe him. I'll, I'll take his word It's Daryl Griffin. Daryl Griffin was Dr. Duncanstein. There you go. There you go. So I was half right, and he was completely wrong. Uh, Darnell <laughs> Hillman is not the person. Uh, Len Bias, another good one. That was good. Great dunkers. Jason Richardson. Steve Francis was a good dunker. Yeah, he was. Uh, Dwayne Wade, Derek Rose. But again, back to my original point about smaller dunkers, not as much fun. Uh, let's see. Xavier in Virginia Beach says, what about Superman Dwight Howard? No, that we didn't dunk the ball. You have to touch the rim. But yes, he had better dunks than the one that won in the competition. Yes, throwing it in is not a dunk. No, it is. It isn't. It Just isn't. because you throw it down doesn't mean it's a dunk. Um, best of the best is Mahomes and Kelsey. Oh, wait, you're talking about back-to-back champs. Well, I'll go Gordon uh, versus Levine. Uh, the dunk competition was sick. Props, back and forth dunk, no misses. I hate misses, and I hate to watch them try three more times. Yeah, I think there's. I think that's a good point. This, the, yeah. the formats have been tweaked, and I, I do hate all the misses. It really takes the air out of the building, too. Daryl Griffith was Dr. Duncanstein. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it wasn't Hillman or whoever that person was. That's right. We got it straight. That might have been his neighbor, for all we know. I don't know. <laughs> um, Shaq versus Zion to see how many backboards they could break, like the MLB Home Run Derby. The only thing Shaq would break right now is a hip. You can't... You can't Shaq could break a now. chair right now. I can tell you that much. Um, I think the... Um, well, I mean, broken backboards. I mean, hello... Uh, Darvin Hamslam did it in uh, Richmond, That's Richmond right. Coliseum. I saw that live. That was crazy. And, uh, of course, Daryl Dawkins did it all the time. Chocolate mm-hmm. Thunder. Yeah, I love Chocolate Thunder. He's a stud. Yeah, Doug in, and Doug in Norfolk says Chocolate Thunder. You got it. Yeah, he's in there as well. Yes. Mentioned him earlier. All right. Um, so, 
<laughs> this story is hilarious. And I don't know, and again, when you say interim coach to me, that brings up a lot of ideas. Like interim could be, I don't right. know, through next week. It could be for a year. I mean, what does that mean? So you're telling me that Georgia State football, his coach just left, and we read the story yesterday. I went to South Carolina because he promised his daughter she'd be able to you know, finish high school in the same place. They love South Carolina, so he, t- he took a step back. Although, again, okay, you know, it's, it's a little strange. But Bruce Feldman is reporting, and he reported this nine hours ago, so I don't know if it's still the same from The Athletic, that they are expected to name the interim coach as their strength coach, Mike Serignano. Uh, Serignano. I don't, I don't know how you say his name. Serignano is going to be the interim head coach as Sean Elliott stepped down yesterday to take this tight ends coach job in South Carolina. So the only thing weirder than a guy taking a tight ends coach job, even at an SEC school, away from a head coaching job, has to be this story. I mean, I, I got to find out. Now, I know, um, obviously, Georgia State's probably here by now, but they're um, they're going to be in town tomorrow night to oh, play that's right. You can ask somebody so that I'm might ask know. their play-by-play guy, like, dude, are you serious? I mean, I know your strength coach, you like him and all, but this seems pretty intense. He was, by the way, a first-year strength coach. He just joined the program. Um, he had previously worked as a strength and conditioning coach at South Carolina, Elon Rhode Island, Northeastern, and Bryant College. Uh, before going to Louisville, he spent five years at App State where he was the director of strength and conditioning. So I'm looking on this guy's resume, just trying to figure out, okay, maybe he was a football coach and just got into fitness or something. No, there's nothing that says head football coach here. This is strength coach, and that's it. Just bizarre. And what does that say about your OC, your DC? <laughs> right. You know, How any you of feel? these guys. How do you feel if you're one of those guys? Right. Like you're... Hey, they just passed you all over for the strength and conditioning coach. What do you think about that? Or how or how far down did they have to go with guys saying, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm Seriously. Not doing like it. their offensive coordinator, like what's Trent McKnight, uh, their defensive coordinator, Chad Staggs, uh, assistant uh, head coach secondary. And this guy again has assistant coach in his title, as does another guy. Uh Arquetta Banks has that in his title too. He's a special teams coordinator. Uh Antrell Allen is an assistant coach. Um as well and he well, now have... they're assisting the strength coach yeah now you're all behind the strength coach it's bizarre like there's got to be more to this story anyway i'll try to find out for you for this weekend it's it is one of the stranger stories I, I can remember hearing in college football all right so they're telling me darnell hillman is dr duncanstein according to darnell tillman's own ba- own own uh own actual uh wikipedia page I, I don't know that i can take wikipedia 100 percent. i don't know man I, dr duncanstein was daryl griffin if you type dr duncanstein into yeah. google yeah yeah daryl griffin's name or is he saying up. these are two separate people he's talking about well you i if there's two people that are calling themselves dr right. duncanstein i'm gonna need yeah i'm gonna need a dunk off I'm yeah sorry. yeah <laughs> i don't care how old yeah daryl griffith is dr duncanstein i'm just saying in my lifetime that's who it was so anyway I don't know. Maybe Darnell Hillman, maybe in the neighborhood. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find, you know, like you said, they might have to have a dunk off. Problem is both guys probably are not able to dunk at this point in their lives. Um, all right. 757-687-9494. 757-687-9494. Yeah, Darnell Hillman's 60-74 now, so he's probably not dunking anymore. Yeah, Here's the other thing. Like, what At what point in your life can you no longer dunk? Like, at what, like I don't know. Can Dr. J still dunk? Probably not. Um does MJ still dunk? Because really, the end of his Wizards career, he had a hard time dunking. 
if you remember, because he couldn't palm the ball anymore because that cigar cutter accident. That was a problem. Greg Gloucester, <laughs> you're funny. All right, 757-687-9494, 757-687-9494. Uh, keep the text coming on the dunkers. All right, we'll talk uh, Daytona 500 on the other side. Davey Siegel's going to join us from Sirius XM uh, NASCAR Radio. We'll get his take on who we should be watching this weekend to take the checkered flag. Scott Jackson, show priority on Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. Injured in an accident? Call 757-INJURED. 757-INJURED.